Welcome back to Body Talk with Bex. In this week's episode, I speak with Lily, who was born with Factoral and was adopted and just has a really crazy story. So this week, let's just jump right on into the interview with her. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Yeah, thanks for reaching out on social media. Yeah, of course. I listened to pretty much everything on your podcast and I was like, oh, this is this is a great platform and I, I've loved your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it felt really scary, like getting started and putting myself out there, but I've gotten to meet some fantastic people. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So do you want to just take us through what you've been going through? I mean, it sounds like you said Vactoral. Do you want to go letter by letter or? I could, I don't know what would be the best because I have a little bit of an unusual situation. So I guess I'll just start from the beginning then. Yeah. So I was born in China and then I lived in China for the first five years of my life. And then I was adopted when I was five and a half years old. But so, yeah, I was born with Bacteral and I guess I'll just quickly say what I have and then go into what we did. So I have the V, A, R and L. So vertebral, I have caudal regression syndrome and tethered cord. And then for A, I have cloaca. And then R, I have an atropic left kidney. So it's a lot smaller and it, I think it only functions at like 10%. So it's basically non-existent. And then L, I was born with club foot. And then I also have a leg length difference. So my right leg is a little bit shorter than my left leg. So that's, those are the components of Vactual that I have. And so in China, I guess my first surgery was when I was about a year old, and that was to fix my club foot. And so that happened. And then about like several months later, I had my first initial like reconstruction, like pelvic reconstruction, but that wasn't really done right and everything like that. We don't know exactly what they did because medical records back and forth, it's it's difficult. So, but the doctors are like, yeah, they didn't really do it right. So when I got adopted, I was adopted in November of 2008. And basically right away, my I mean, my parents knew I had like not issues, but like all these challenges and what I was born with and stuff. So they immediately were like ready to start like making sure I was okay. And so doctors visits started happening. They were sending videos of how I walked because I walk with a limp and then I fell all the time because of my tethered cord. They didn't know that was a thing, but I've had it since I was a baby. And then uh, Yeah. So just all those appointments happening. So yeah, I fell a lot. And then my parents were trying to figure out like why and all this stuff happening. And then I was also dealing with incontinent issues, both bladder and bowel, because I was still living with what they called a rectovaginal fistula. So I still had a fistula between my like vaginal canal and my rectum. So I wasn't able to like control anything. And so we ended up going to Cincinnati for all my, I guess, big procedures, big surgeries. And so I got, the first one I had there was my tethered cord release. That was when I was six. So I was adopted at five and a half. And then first surgery when I, after, oh, wait, no, before I turned six, it was February. So a couple months after I was adopted, actually. And then I had a break, but still doctor's visits. And then in... The summer of 2009, I had my like big reconstruction where they had to like move my rectum and put it into place and all this other, all these other things. And I missed like the first two day, two weeks of kindergarten and wasn't able to go to school for a little bit. And then 
yeah, I had to do bowel management, start a bowel management routine, which started out as like rectal enemas once a day. And then I got like a Malone surgery, which is where they took my appendix and attached it to my belly button. And then I just run like a catheter through that and basically flush out my system once a day. So I've had that for like 12 years. <laughs> I'm experienced in that. And then the tethered cord caused me to have like neurogenic bowel and bladder, which is why I have to do the flush. And then I also cath through um, my urethra. So I've been cathing since I was five. And then I started self-cathing when I was like seven because I was like, I don't want my mom to do it anymore. Yeah. But yeah, those are all my like big surgeries in childhood, I guess. Yeah. Wow. And I assume you still have things going on like to this day that you... <laughs> deal with yeah so yeah so I get yearly checkups like kidney ultrasound and then I sometimes get blood work that's kind of depends on when the doctor's like oh maybe we should do it so like every other year or whatever and then I also get like a urine test but recently so like we thought everything was great like during my childhood everything was great and then about junior year of high school I started to have some issues with like my bowel routine not going well and having to deal with all that stuff. And then I was having some back pain and leg pain. And so we were like, oh, maybe like my tethered cord had reattached, like my spinal cord had reattached. So I had to get an MRI for that. And they're like, nope, you're all clear. And so, well, because of all those issues, I was only seeing one doctor, one urologist who dealt with both bowel, the bowel and bladder side of things. And so, but he was all the way, so I live up in Washington. So he was all the way in South Carolina at the time. And then COVID, that was during COVID. So I wasn't able to go see him. And so he's wrote me a referral to like Seattle Children's to get all that done. And I got the MRI and it came back clear. But because of all the other issues I was having, I ended up meeting with their pelvic reconstructive medicine clinic team. And so I went from like one doctor to like six doctors, which is actually really good because I needed all those doctors to help like you know, do everything and make sure I was okay in all of my aspects. So I was meeting with them and because they're new doctors, they wanted to like run a couple tests and make sure like see how my body functions and see like the anatomy of everything because I'm new and complicated. And so I had an exam under anesthesia done July of like after my junior year so that July I had an exam under anesthesia where they had to the gynecologist had to because I had a vaginal reconstruction like a vaginoplasty back when I was six but we didn't do anything afterwards usually after a vaginoplasty you have to go in and dilate but I was way too young for that yeah so <laughs> She, she was like, yeah, way too young. Was like, no. And so she went in and I had some stenosis at the surface level. So she cut and opened it up because I was interested in starting vaginal dilations to make it so that I can eventually have sex. But so she did the exam and then the general surgeon who specializes in colorectal, she was also in the exam room and she wanted to do like a nerve simulator to see how my sacral nerve moved and everything like that. And it turns out while she was doing exam, it turns out my rectum was not where it was supposed to be still. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it was outside of the like sphincter muscle complex. And so from then on, we started doing more tests. So another MRI. And then I had what was called a anal rectal manometry, where they test like the muscles down there and stuff like that to like get a better sense of like the anatomy of my body. So she would know if I did choose to do surgery, like how everything worked and how well everything worked. And then just a lot of appointments because I like live several hours away. I live like four hours away from Seattle Children's. We did a lot of telehealth appointments and stuff like that. Just like talking and her explaining everything. And so just a lot of back and forth communication. And then I did end up opting to go for surgery because there was a chance that it could help 
everything function better. And so I got that surgery done in November, like the week before Thanksgiving, because I got discharged Thanksgiving Day. And so that was a whole big process. And it was crazy because it's my senior year of high school. I wasn't expecting this, but it turned out well. I was in the hospital for like seven days. So I was there the day before to do prep and then the day of surgery. So I was on a clear liquid diet, sugar-free diet for like six days the day before. And then the day of surgery, I wasn't even allowed to eat anything even after surgery, drink anything even after surgery. And then for the next five days after that, I was on clear liquid, sugar-free oh diet. <laughs> no one was allowed to eat in front of me. I, I, the way I did my classes, I FaceTimed some people on there in some of the classes depended on the teacher, but like my Spanish class, I FaceTimed my friend, but I always made sure not to FaceTime at certain points because on every Thursday we would eat chips and queso and watch a show. So I had to make sure like once all the chips and queso was dished out, then I could FaceTime cause I wouldn't see it. And so I FaceTimed, but um, we had, I had to go through all of that. And then I was finally home and I was, you know, doing okay, recovering. And then after about, so let's see, from November, December 7th was when I went back to school. And then I was back to school. That was, I think, a Wednesday. So I was back to school for the next three days until I ended up getting a really bad UTI that got to my kidneys. It was not fun to deal with. We were trying to get a hold of my doctor, like calling. And finally, my mom was like, I'm paging the young call resident, urology resident, because we have to get you on some things because it had been a day of me just on the couch with terrible body aches and side pain. The side pain was terrible. Uh, yeah, I fully know what you're talking about with that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Those kidney infections. Oh, yeah. So I finally got some antibiotics. I was doing great. I was able to go back to school, took vacation. We did a family trip down to, we used to live in Louisiana and New Orleans. I mean, we love the city there. So we went down for Christmas and then to the beach and everything like that. And then I got back. Then I got another infection. that one also hit my kidney (laughs) was that hitting your healthy kidney or I don't know exactly which one it was a little it was just side pain it was mostly on my unhealthy one which is I guess it's good I, I don't know it was mostly like side pain on my left side and then it would radiate a little bit to my right side but got antibiotics for that was doing okay for like another couple weeks then I got another infection oh no I was doing okay for about a month month and a half because I was able to go to Costa Rica on a missions trip with my Spanish class during spring break but after spring break I got two more infections so one happened got antibiotics and then I thought I was fine. And then a couple of days later, I start getting symptoms again, go back to urgent care, get a, use up another antibiotic. But then they told me like, you know, cause the culture has to run. They told me like three days after I got those antibiotics, you need to switch. So I switched to a different one and that lasted until like beginning week of June, I think. So I was on antibiotics for a little while and I've been clean since, but after having so many infections in such a short amount of time, you get slightly paranoid, not not like complete paranoia, but you're like, oh, it looks a little cloudy. Oh, does it hurt? You know, you're everything overthinking like that. it completely. Yeah, I'm like, Am I, is this another infection? Because if I do get another one, I have to tell my doctor because he's, I think he's going to, if I do, he would put me on a low dose of antibiotics for like a month to kick everything out and kind of go from there. But so far, so good, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's got to be really hard on your immune system too. The back and forth of not just having the infection, but also the antibiotics. Yeah. That's a lot for yes. your body to handle. It is. It caused a lot of issues. And then I was on a probiotic because try to combat the antibiotic. So I've been yeah. taking probiotics ever since. I started taking a cranberry supplement to, you know, get all those healthy vitamins and minerals. But if I do ever start, I 
chug a whole bottle of cranberry juice and a <laughs> bunch of water. Yeah. That's what we always did. Yeah. When I was a kid and like felt something coming on, it's like, okay, who's got cranberry juice? <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? We know. I know we have some somewhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so is your limp pretty much gone as well too now then? Did they like completely fix that with that surgery no. when you were younger? No, because the limb is more like a bone, like length difference, not really like muscle or anything like that. Like I do have low muscle tone on my right side because of the tethered cord, but the tethered cord helped with like some bladder and bowel issues. And then it allowed my leg to actually get stronger as I walked more and stuff and not fall basically as much. But as far as limb length, my limbs, like, I think it got a little bit longer as I grew, like it grew with my body, but it's still not the same length as my left leg. But apparently it's not as noticeable as, you know, I think it is because sometimes like I've had several occasions where like my math teacher in eighth grade was like, Lily, are you okay? Like you're limping. And I was like, oh, I, I always have a limp. I, I think <laughs> at least because my leg is shorter, but it comes and goes. Usually when I'm more tired, like if I've walked around a lot, then it's a lot more prevalent and stuff like that. So yeah. Gotcha. So it only bothers you like sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I can pretty much do whatever I want. I can go hike up a mountain or, I mean, it takes me longer because I have short legs. First of all, I'm short. (laughs) And then, (laughs) and then it doesn't have as much endurance, I guess, because it's low muscle tone. And so not as much power and endurance, but I can, if we want to go hike six miles, it might take me a while, but I will go still hike six miles. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, it sounds like you've been through quite a lot and it sounds (laughs) like you had parents who adopted you, who just were ready to take it on. Yes. And wanted to give you like the best that you could have, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. So I assume your communication with them, like they were pretty open about talking to you about everything. Yeah. So my mom was the main Like she was the main person coming to the doctor's appointments, mostly because they were up in Cincinnati. So it would always be like dad had to stay home because I have three other siblings, two older brothers and a younger sister. Wow. But like (laughs) during the intensive parts, dad would have to be home. You know, he was in the military, so he had to work and then take care of my brothers. And while mom and I went up to Cincinnati and then so she's basically been the main like person who knows everything I'll still call her about stuff and if I'm like out and trying to sign into something and check in like today I was texting her like what what about this like do I need to put this on and so she's yeah the the medical parent I guess and she's always just been there for every surgery every infection everything every appointment and my dad's kind of the comic relief like he knows how to cheer me up when I'm not feeling well and knows how to you know make me smile and can joke about all the poop and pee stuff with me because that's (laughs) you know a regular part of my life so he's yeah he's more moral support and my mom knows how to approach things more and be able to be like oh okay so we tried this let's try this now and she was able to help me navigate like oh I want to go out with like especially when I was littler younger and we wanted to do sleepovers like oh let's have them sleep over here and you know stuff like that I swear moms are like superheroes with they are how much they do for us yes yes such superheroes yeah, my mom was always the the medical parent as well. And and dad was mm-hmm. the fun, like, let's go get ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you went to just regular school most of the time then. It sounded like only just in high school that you had to, you know, video yeah, chat so- in. Yeah, so I was in, so I missed the first two weeks of 
first two weeks of kindergarten. So I was only in public school from kindergarten to second grade. And then we moved and my mom didn't like the school system. So we homeschooled. She homeschooled all four of us. Oh and my gosh. Yes. <laughs> what a she homeschooled all. Yeah, exactly. She homeschooled all four of us until when did my brother go to school? I think my brother first went to like because now we all go to a private school. We all went like went through private school. And so my oldest brother, who's now 21, he when he started going to the school his freshman year, then my other brother, who's the same age as me, he went his seventh grade year. I went in my eighth grade year and then my younger sister went in her sixth grade year, I believe. So we homeschooled for a really long time and then kind of like transitioned because the private school also has like a homeschool once a week co-op sort of thing. So we're able to like transition from just mom to then, oh, we're going to do co-op. And then we went through co-op and then went to, I guess, normal school. That's a really cool. I don't think I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really great program. Yeah. Yeah, we always just did, like, if I was in school, I was in school. And then, like, when I homeschooled, it was just homeschooling. Yeah. We never had that, like, transition. I think that would have been really helpful, though. Yeah, it was really helpful because when you're, because you're, when you do that co-op, as far as the way our school does it, you can do all the sports that the school provides. So like you can do track, you can do golf or do the play and go to the school dances and do all of those things. But you didn't have to like go to school to do it. So I thought it was really great. Yeah. Yeah, that is really cool. Did you wind up doing any of those extracurriculars? So in sixth and seventh grade, I was when I was still homeschooling, I did volleyball and then I went to school and I did volleyball eighth grade freshman year. I did. Oh, I also did the play in eighth grade. So it was it's the high school play, but they allow some middle schoolers just because our school's so small. We need people to fill like background characters and stuff like that. So I did the play and then freshman year, I think I I did the play and then I also did knowledge bowl which is like a competition about who can answer the most school or not school trivia just like trivia in general and then I did that freshman and sophomore year and then sophomore year I did track but that was also the year COVID hit so I had two weeks of track <laughs> and and then junior year I also did track that was I got more of a track season that year but it was still not a full season and everything was still all wonky and the schedules are all weird and then this year I didn't get I didn't do a whole ton because I mean surgery I was I planned on doing the play but then after I was back at school and after surgery had taken its toll, I was like, oh, I don't think I have enough time commitment for the actual play itself. So my friend and I just did, we did the crew. So we were backstage helping people change and doing makeup and doing props and going out on stage and doing different prop things on stage. So it was still a lot of fun. And then I thought about track because I was mostly recovered, but then it's a good thing I didn't end up doing track because I had to go back in February for another exam where she actually had to cut me open a little bit more because it healed and it closed off a little too much. So she had to cut me open a little bit more. So I had to recover from that too. So yeah, but I did whatever I wanted, like whatever interested me. And my parents always were like, go for it. Like, you know, go do whatever you want to do. And yeah. That's great. Yeah. Did you find during COVID when you were doing like schooling from home and Mm -hmm. stuff, was that easier for all of your health things that were going on? I guess I probably, yeah, I didn't really think about that, but yeah, it was easier because, you know, I, if I had to use the bathroom, just turn my screen off and go run to the bathroom. And yeah, it was easier. Not really socially, because I'm a very extroverted social person. So it wasn't the best. But then I also have three siblings I can talk to. So yeah. Yeah. Do you, did you find that like it affected your energy levels a lot too? Yeah, I was definitely. Well, because I am extroverted and I get energy from other people, I was a little bit more 
down and just not as like, oh, let's go do something. No, not as much, you know. But my parents had like the system of things that would that motivated us because they could tell we were all down. So they had like the system of, hey, if you go out and take a bike ride, you get five bucks. And it was just like, you know, little things here and there to kind of motivate us. Yeah. Cool. So I want to go back to, I think it, is it the V that's related Mm -hmm. to the tethered cord? Yes. Can you just explain what that is? I keep meaning to ask and then I get distracted. No, yeah. (laughs) So tethered cord is where, so your spinal cord is, you know, within the column and everything and it flows freely. But when someone has a tethered cord, it like just gets stuck onto, I don't know, it's different for different people. It's either like stuck to like the one of the bones or stuck to just like tissue and mine was just stuck to tissue so they had to go in and cut it off the tissue and stuff like that so that's basically what a spinal tethered spinal cord is and there are chances of it retethering although I think my chances are really low like after the MRI the neurosurgeon was like yeah so it's not tethered cord your chances of it because of how your spine looks and everything are actually really low of it tethering which is really nice to hear because that's not a surgery you really want to go through because you have to like (laughs) you get cut open and then you have to be on your back for a certain amount of time before you're allowed to actually like elevate and all this other things yeah Yeah, I bet. Does that like affect the nerves through the spine? Yes. So it caused me to be very incontinent, both urinary incontinence and fecal incontinence. I would have a lot of pee accidents, especially before a lot of pee accidents and poop accidents, and I couldn't hold it. It wouldn't like my bladder or the nerves and stuff weren't working properly back and forth. So I couldn't feel I needed to go until I was basically peeing myself and that's the same with pooping and then afterwards I was able to regain a little more control and just throughout the years of just me living with it my body's kind of learned how to reconnect some wires so I know when I have to go and so that's nice yeah that's really good yeah that your body's kind of correcting it on its own yeah 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 and I mean and that and you that's all like on top of you already had you know something for a so this yeah. was something new coming from V. <laughs> yes, exactly. It just made A a little bit worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. And so I wanted to also talk to you about Youth Rally a little bit because mm-hmm. I had never been to it. I'd never heard of it until a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you grew up going to it. So yeah, so I went in my first year was 2016, the summer after eighth grade year. And you know, my mom had heard about it before, but she was really hesitant to send me because it's like, oh, like, you know, what's going to happen? I'm not there to help her if she has any sort of medical issues. And, you know, it's just the mom thing. Like, you know, you're not sure how your your kid's never been able to go to an overnight camp. So you never know how it's going to go, you know. But yeah, I went and it was the best experience ever. And I just kept wanting to go back. And unfortunately, it is online now. But I just got an email that hinted towards it being in person next year. So I can't wait for that. (laughs) That's awesome. So for someone who doesn't know what Youth Rally is, what would you describe it to, to be? So it is basically summer camp for kids who can't go to summer camp because they deal with bowel and bladder issues. So it's located in three different places, depending on the year. So the first year I went, it was in Seattle and it's hosted on college campuses. So you sleep. So when it's in Seattle, we stay in UW dorms. So University of Washington dorms. And it's kind of the way it's designed is to help you with your, you know, self-confidence because kids, you know, we have all these scars and we've gone through surgeries. So, and your, our body feels like it's against us. So it helps you develop the self-confidence, like positive body image. And then it also is scheduled in a way where no one's helping you or there's people helping you if you need the help, but no one's telling you when you need to cath and when you need to do your flushes or bowel regimen or whatever, because, you know, it's trying to push you towards that independence. Now, -hmm. if you need help doing something, they will, you know, they have nurses on staff and then all of the counselors and trainings, training and counselors actually have 
they have to have some sort of like bowel or bladder issue going on. So all of them, like there's a lot of Crohn's people and people with ostomies and just a lot of people, several bacterial people. And so all the counselors know how to deal with an issue because they've gone through that issue, which is really nice. But it's there's a set schedule and you see the schedule at breakfast. And then that's um, how you kind of like plan out your day of when you're going to do your things that you need to do, because there's times where you it's a normal camp day. They, They don't try to make sure that there's like, oh, two hours of free time every single day for you to do your thing. Nope, we're gonna. So like the first day is, you know, everyone checks in, you kind of just hang around. And then there's an ice cream social at the end of the day. And then Tuesday, so it starts on Monday and goes till Friday. So Tuesday is all the medical diagnosis groups and medical management groups. So you go to whichever one you have. So I go, I started out in the cloaca one and then i visited the bacterial one and went to and yeah i visited the bacterial one and i kind of went back and forth because it doesn't really matter because i can relate with both because i have both so i've gone to both of them and so you do that you get to talk with people and share experiences and the nurses help and a lot of the times there is someone especially in the medical management groups so management can mean anything from ostomy to cathing like self-cathing or metrophenoff cathing or rectal enemas or enemas through a malone and so it's just really it's the entire skill of whatever anyone needs to do and so they do have some people from like seattle children's i remember a couple people came and spoke in those groups so when I look back on the pictures just to because I was missing rally and you know pictures are great and so I went back in the pictures and it was the male cathing group and I realized oh that's my urologist he's talking with all the guys about cathing and stuff like that and then I remember the first year I was at rally I was in the Malone group and this nurse practitioner from Seattle Children's came and spoke about the Malone and different things and different ways to help it go well and then turns out she's on my care team when I switched my care over and when I met her when I had that initial appointment with her she's like you seem familiar like do I know you from anywhere and then we ended up somehow getting onto the topic of rally and I was like that's how like that and then we just made that instant connection of like oh like you know we've met each other before and stuff like that so Tuesdays is the medical groups and then there's usually some other oh and then I think it's also there's like a talent show on Tuesdays and then Wednesdays you go to like the sports and fitness center at whichever college it is. So the rec center, and you basically get to, you choose before um, when you're registering for camp, you choose different things that they have listed. So like rock climbing or the biking class or Pilates or Zumba or whatever. So you choose whichever, and that's the kind of get kids to be like, you know, you can use your body and you can do all these things and be able to rock climb and be able to play tennis and play, be able to play basketball in a wheelchair, you know, all these things to show kids that they can do whatever they're interested in doing. So that's always a great day. It's usually takes up most of the day because you have to walk there and then walk back. It's just a great camp too for kids who, like I said, have never been to summer camp before, their website is youthrally.com or .org. And it's just a great place to for kids to be able to um, not only go to summer camp, but also meet people who deal with the same issues and know what they're going through and be able to like talk with peers and talk with adults who are like, you can see they're living a completely full life. It's really great for kids to like learn all of these skills and like build the confidence and like learn that they can Mm -hmm. still live life basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then Thursdays is like a field trip day. So the first year I was there, we went to a lake and spent the entire day at the lake, paddle boarding, whatever, like just spending the day at the lake. Um, And then the next time when I was in Seattle again, we went to, what was it, an amusement park out of, just outside the city. That was like a water amusement park combo thing. 
Yeah, I don't remember the name. But, I don't remember um, the name either, but I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. So we went there and, you know, you can ride the roller coasters and be able to play at the water park and walk back and forth. As long as the counselor was in sight, you could do whatever you wanted to do. So those are really great days to be able to. It also teaches you how to pack for because, you know, us medical kids always have a backpack on them wherever mm-hmm. they go out out of the house. I think that all my friends think I'm like the mom of the group because I always have a backpack. I have hand sanitizer. I have baby wipes and, you know, everything you need. So, yeah, all of us medical kids. So it teaches you how to like pack for the day and they tell you what you're going to do. And so you pack for, oh, I need this many catheters today and to use and just be able to do all that, but then also have complete independence because once you check into like because we've done a couple amusement parks like boulder you go to an amusement park and also in san diego i think you it has one roller coaster in san diego but you get to be out in the world but um you're not regulated you're not you know told what to do you just you know there's a counselor there do you want to go do this do you want to ride this ride you know do whatever you want with your buddies and just be able to experience life and be like, oh, you can ride a roller coaster. Like you never thought you could, but you can. And so Thursdays are great days to just get out into the world. And you're still in the rally bubble, but you have a lot more independence and stuff like that. And then Fridays, you, so like I said, it's the free time day. You get to go off site, off campus, or stay on campus and whatever. And there's always the dance. There's like a dance at the end of the week where it's like, you know, casual homecoming basically. And everyone goes. And it's also the graduation ceremony for all the people who are too old to be at rally, but they like, we call it, it's called graduation because you really do graduate. You learn all these skills and you learn something new each time you go to rally. And then you graduate because you're ready to face the world and be able to, you know, be a young adult living with these challenges, but be able to, you know, be independent and, you know, you're ready now. Rally's helped you prepare and everything like that. So it's just a, I, I couldn't say enough good things about this camp. I love this camp. Yeah, I'm getting goosebumps listening to to (laughs) what it's like. I I think that's amazing that there's even something out there like that for for people like us. Yeah, yeah. And And that's where I met. Yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I was just going to say you're didn't you mention you were going back as a counselor? Yes. So it starts on the 12th. So next week I'll be a, a counselor in training. It'll be online. I think this is the last year. I think Mary Beth sent out an email and it headed towards next year being in person. So this will be the last year of it being online, which is great because I mean, online, the online platform is amazing, but you don't get to experience rally in the full fullness of it until you're in person away from your parents. Your parents aren't there because you love your parents, but you know, you got, you've had to have a little bit of independence from them and to be able to do summer camp without them and have like a normal kid experience. I guess I put that in quotes, you know? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but it's also like learning how to take care of yourself so that when you are on your own, say away at college, yes, you're not stuck relying on your parents and just totally like floundering trying to figure it out. Like you already have the skills built. Yeah. And the youngest you can go is like 11 and it goes from 11 to 17 and so you get all those childhood years as many years as you go to be able to build upon each skill that you have meet new people that's where I met my best friend I was actually just up in Idaho yesterday because it was her birthday and she also has back drill and we met you know both as what 13 13 year olds 14 year olds just shyly like hi what's your name like you know what do you have and now I'm driving up two hours to go spend the entire day with her and we've gone back and forth she's flown up to my house because she originally lives down in San Diego but she's living with a different family and helping out that family right now as a job and so we would fly back and forth she would fly up here come see me and I would fly down there to go see her and you know we're best friends that's amazing. Yeah. I think that's something I also missed out on was like meeting other people like myself that I could be friends with and yeah. have that connection with. 
Yeah, it was really great. Just because you can talk to doctors and ask them questions, but, you know, it's really different when it's someone else who's been through that and someone else who's your age. And then you can talk back and forth if you are going through like when I if I do go through issues and stuff like that, especially when we're long distance, we would always FaceTime at least like once a week and just be able to catch up. Like, how did your week go? Like, if not more than once a week especially during COVID. We always FaceTime back and forth. And she also does bowel management. So most of the time it was both of us on the toilet, FaceTiming back and forth and talking and what, what whatever and watching a show together or just like just sitting there. We don't have to talk. We're just doing our own thing. But we are so comfortable with each other and we can just, you know, be able to have that connection without even being able being talking the entire time. And it's not awkward. And she just she and I just find like great companionship and being able to relate to each other. Yeah, there's just a completely different level of like understanding and like comfortability around people like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm definitely going to be linking you Thrally in the show notes for this. Yes. So anyone listening who has a kid around that age, 11 to 17, look into it. I definitely wish I had known about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. So what, what are things that you do on a daily basis then like different medications and preventive care and, and things like that, that you kind of deal with? Yeah, so I self-cath at least four times a day and I just make sure to drink plenty of water because when you self-cath, you're already introducing bacteria. So I have to use like a BZK antibacterial wipe before I cath and drink a bunch of water and then like keep my salt levels down a little bit. And then I also do bowel management through my Malone. So I have a solution of like saline and glycerin. We're trying to tweak that actually. I'm having some issues with it, but I basically run that through my belly button and I poop on the toilet for an hour. It It's only supposed to take an hour. Right now it's taking a little bit longer than an hour, which is why we're trying to get it to only be condensed to that long. Most bowel management, from what I understand, obviously there's so many different ways to do it, but it's most of it is about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour is like the ideal golden time that you want to be sitting on. Because any more than that, and it just gets in the way of being able to do things and stuff like that. So we're trying to tweak that right now for me. It's been causing some issues, but nothing I can't fix or whatever. And so I do that. And then I just take, I take like oxybutynin for my neurogenic bladder to keep the bladder, bladder spasms down. And that's, I mean, yearly checkups. I mean, I've had a lot more doctors visits and telehealth visits lately because of everything else going on. But unless I have an issue, I can, I'm all good for a year. Yeah. That's great. When I was younger, though, when I was with just the one urologist, I would go every year for like a urodynamics test to make sure my bladder pressures were good um, to make sure I didn't have any reflux. And then I always get blood work. And then if it was a year that I didn't do the urodynamics, then I would get uh, was is it cystoscopy? I don't know. Some where they look into your bladder. Yep. Cystoscopy. Yep. So I would get if I wasn't doing urodynamics, then I would be getting scoped. But so far, so good. Yeah. Good. Good. How often do you have bladder spasms? So without, if I didn't take my medication, because it stays in my system for a little bit, but if I didn't take it, like this one time, we... I was running low, so we called the pharmacy, but they couldn't refill it for whatever reason. I went like a week without it, and I had like actual withdrawal symptoms, like, you know, from someone who's like addicted to something else. Like I had, you know, sweating, temperature fluctuations, headache, and then I would have bladder spasms all throughout the day at random. They're just random times. Usually it's when my bladder is filling up but like just random times. And then it would cause me, obviously when your bladder squeezes, you know, you either have an accident or you run to the bathroom. And so, but thankfully those are under control because of my medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Are, were yours painful? Cause mine were always super painful when I had spasm. 
it depends most most of the time it's mild but every once in a while i'll get like you know just the sharp pain i'll be like oh that's not pleasant like oh but it was never i mean i don't remember exactly how bad they were when i was little that caused me to actually go onto the medication in the first place because i started that medication when i was like five years old oh wow so i've been on it for a very long time like 14 years i guess is how long that is So I don't know exactly how bad it was, but yeah, it was, I would have bladder spasms all the time. So yeah. Wow. Wow. That's not fun. I mean, thank goodness for, for medicine and being able to prevent it, but yes, that's crazy. Yeah. So what's, what's next on, uh, on your plans? What are, what are you moving on to? (laughs) I'm moving on. Well, right now I'm enjoying my summer before I start college. So I get rally next week and then I go to Glacier the week after that because my brother's up in Montana for a summer camp right now and he has the weekend off. So we're going to go do Glacier and then the week after that. So the first week of August, I'll be going down to Florida to go visit some So when you get adopted, you go in groups usually most of the time. You're with an adoption agency and you have other families who are adopting at the same time as you. And so we're going down to my sister's adoption group and basically having a reunion, I guess. We usually do it every summer, uh, an adoption reunion. So we'll be down in Orlando doing whatever the moms have planned. I mean, it's just a vacation for me. And then we also have family down in Florida. So I'll get to meet my new baby cousin that was born I think in the winter. So I get to go meet him and just have a vacation. And then when I get back, it's pretty much like get ready to move into college and do pre-orientation and then orientation and then classes start. Yeah. What what college are you going to? I'm going to Gonzaga University. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's just like a private university up here. They're mostly known for their basketball, I guess. (laughs) I've heard of the school. I just don't know like where it is in Washington. It's in Spokane. So it puts Spokane on the map more because they were doing so well with their basketball program. And I think this program, they didn't win or this year they didn't win whatever college bracket. But next year, it sounds like they're going to win. So I'll get some good games in and be able to watch them. And but yeah, it's just 30 minutes away from my house. So I guess my parents are happy about that. Yeah. Are you going to be living on campus? Yes, but I think only for this year, mostly because so I got scholarships and then my dad was in the military. So he got he has what's called a GI Bill mm-hmm. and it's four years of college paid for for your kids. But he, he chose to have four kids. So got to <laughs> split it amongst all of us. Each one of us gets a year. So that pays for my room and board. So which is nice for the first year. But I don't know if I'll be able to afford living on campus. And I'm already going to have to take out loans for just the tuition part of it. So maybe, maybe not. But this first year, I'll be on on campus. Do you feel prepared for for having that independence and like managing all of your medical things while while at school? I mean, that's a a big change, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) It is, especially with the roommate situation. That was tricky because Gonzaga only has like traditional or suite style. They don't have any single private rooms, which was kind of like difficult and nerve wracking because you have to tell your roommate. So I ended up going with a suite style with um, six people in a suite sharing two toilets. So that's why I chose that one is because there were two toilets available. So if I was occupying one, then the other one is free and open for whoever else needs it. But I feel because I feel pretty prepared. I was able to tell my roommate everything that she needs to know, like, oh, I'm I need to use the bathroom for at least an hour and a half every day to, you know, flush out my colon and everything. And I cast to empty my bladder. And so she took it all in stride. She was okay with it, which is you know, it's always you never know how someone's going to react and you can't blame them if they like react badly because it's not it's not normal, I guess, for them. <laughs> it, it, you forget sometimes that it's not normal because you it is normal for you. Right. It's you know, I got to pack 
this many catheters and I got to do this and everything like that. So it's my normal. But then I forget that it's not other people's normals. So I have to like I was like, oh, shoot, like I have a roommate, but I need to tell her. (laughs) So I did. But yeah, that's that's the next step. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're pretty well prepared. I mean, it sounds like Youth Rally did a good job of Mm -hmm. bringing you skills and preparing you for not having parents around to tell you to do things. (laughs) Yes, yes. So it should be all set up. But Mm -hmm. is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or? Oh, I did forget one thing about like everyday or like continual I don't know, work or continual stuff that you have to do. Maintenance. Um, but yeah, maintenance. <laughs> there you go. Continual maintenance. I was also born with this other thing called MRKH, which affects like one to every 5,000 girls, where you are born with like an underdeveloped or completely absent uterus and vaginal canal. It's also called like malaria agenesis. And it's where your malarian ducts don't develop when you're in the womb. So you don't have a uterus or you were born with an underdeveloped one slash the top two thirds of your vaginal canal. So I was born with that. And so I had a hysterectomy when I was six, when they did the reconstruction and everything. And then I also had the vaginoplasty done, but to keep it up so that I can eventually have sex one day. I have to do what's called vaginal dilations to keep it open and do that every day. Or guess I haven't been doing it lately, but do that regularly to, you know, eventually be able to have sex in the future. But that's wow. like the only other upkeep thing. Yeah. And that was MRKH? Yes. Okay. I'm just curious so I can research it a yeah. little more. <laughs> yeah. Some good resources, I guess. If you want to research more is um, Beautiful You, MRKH, Beautiful You. And then there's also, I'm a part of an organization. I think they're based in the UK called MRKH Stars. So I'm on their writing team. And so it's basically a resource for young and newly diagnosed because most people, I mean, we knew this when I got all these tests done after being adopted, but most people don't find out until they're like 16 when they realize oh, oh wow. i don't have a period and so for oh, young and interesting. newly yeah you don't have a period because most people have their ovaries but you don't have a period because your uterus is too underdeveloped to function or you don't have Ooh. one at all and so it's like oh you don't have a period like why and you know that's when most people find out and so i'm a part of the writing team i write different things whatever I'm told to write about basically. My last project was if you had one word to describe your MRKH journey, what would it be? And so that one got published on their Instagram page. And it's a great resource because they have also their buddy program, I believe is what it's called, Stars Buddy Program or Shooting Stars Program, where basically they're a public account. So if you see anything like either on their TikTok or on their Instagram, And it's like they'll post every once in a while, like, hey, if you need someone to talk to or you just need a buddy who knows what you're going through, because, you know, MRKH, you know, you deal with not having a period. And but then that also means you can't have kids. And so like all these different things going along with it and then like choosing surgery over dilation, because most people who have MRKH, I guess it depends on where in the country and where which country you're in. But most people like they have to either do vaginal dilations or do surgery and then do dilations after surgery. So like if you needed support for that, you basically they're like, if you need support for anything or just need to talk to someone, send the shooting stars emoji. And then they know that, oh, you're looking to, you know, be able to talk to someone you're feeling down, you know, you are struggling. And so then they match you up with someone who's around your same age or maybe a little bit older because I guess it's, I don't know, like just a back and forth communication thing where you get paired with someone and that person will like help you talk. And if you just need to rant to someone, you know, you just, they're your buddy. So they're there to help you go through whichever struggles you're facing. And I think that's a really great program. And so, yeah, it's just a great resource for young and newly diagnosed people. Yeah, absolutely. I'll 
be linking probably both of those in the show notes <laughs> yeah. as well. That's mm-hmm. I love that so much. Yeah. That they have like yeah. a buddy system. That's that's really cool. Yeah. So does that mean you can't have kids? Yes. Yeah, so I can't have I can't carry my own kids. I can have biological kids because I do have both ovaries, but I can't be pregnant at all. So okay. I would have to do a, uh, like a surrogate surrogacy. Or... Yeah. Or, you know, adoption, though, just other ways of having kids. Yeah. I mean, at least you can still have kids should you, you know, decide to want to do that in the future. I mean, yeah, yeah. An option. It's not completely off the table. Yes. And then uterus transplants are going on right now. I don't know, like, because I first met with my, like, the first time I actually met with a gynecologist was when I switched care to Seattle Children's. And she actually mentioned it because I knew they were going on. But I was like, oh, I would never qualify. But she was like, oh, uterus transplants are an option. I was like, oh, I didn't know I qualified or like would even could think about it because of my extensive history, medical history and everything like that. But, you know, it's it's an option. I don't know if I will take the option, but right now I'm following someone who's just got their transplant 12 weeks ago. And so I've been following along on her Instagram. And so it's been cool to be able to see like the process because she's sharing everything like ups, downs. And so it's just really cool to be able to see everything that goes on in that process. And so, yeah. That's really cool. I didn't know that that was a thing. I mean, I know obviously transplants for certain things is a thing. I just never Mm -hmm. really thought about like that organ specifically. Yeah, it's still in like its trial stage right now. So the only people who can get it is if they qualify for a trial. It's not open to the public yet. Mm. But, you know, I'm still young and, you know, medicine is changing very quickly every day. And yeah. Yeah, maybe whenever you're actually ready to do it, it'll be available and, and you know, a little bit more ironed out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. What just incredible stuff going on for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Been through, we've been through the ringer a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still smiling. Yep. Thanks for talking to me about everything. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really nice to be able to talk to people about it and put your story out there mm-hmm. just because I feel like it's things that people don't talk about normally. Exactly. I know yeah. when I first, so I created my medical account on Instagram, I guess. And at first I was like, oh shoot, like, you know, what are people going to think? It's still private right now, just because, you know, you never know, like, cause it's a lot of people I know. So I want to be the person telling people, um, not anyone else telling people. And so that's why it's still private. And certain people like, oh, because my school's so small, I know like everyone who went to school. So like if one of the like freshmen wanted to follow me, I'm like, "Mm, that's not something that I really care about you knowing or like not that you knowing, but like it's just this is for people who. I have relationships with who want to stay updated about my life and that aspect of my life. But like at first I was like, should I even make it like, Oh, it's, you know, all this. And then I was still hesitant about like, Oh, like, is this podcast really something I want to do? Yeah. Cause say, it's this talking is about step. not so. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I, yeah, this is the first time I've gone publicly, I guess, because it's like, Oh, you're talking about, poop and pee and you know your vagina and stuff like that and so it's just like you never know how people are going to react but then what if it reaches someone out there who can relate and who's struggling and just like needs to be able to hear this from someone that it does get better and that like you know you don't have to let this hold you back from doing whatever it is you want to do like I'm studying to become a nurse and I'm minoring in Spanish and I'm going to study abroad or hopefully, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. But, you know, you're able to travel. You're able to go have fun at an amusement park. You're able to live your life without anything. I mean, there'll be little bumps and bruises here and there of like, oh, this doesn't go right. Oh, like I'm in the middle of a bump and bruise right now because I'm trying to get my bowel routine down and to not have to sit on there for two hours and to have not have accidents and stuff. But you have to like, you know, when you hear someone else's story and hear that they've had similar struggles, but they're still positive and they're on the bright side and they're living their life. 
despite everything that life has thrown at them, I think it's really great for young people to be able to hear that from people, like from others and to be like, oh, I can do that too. It's just really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. It's encouraging for them. And also I think for the parents too. Yes. Yes. I mean, Um, I know my mom was just terrified for me my entire upbringing. I'm sure yours was too, but yes. Yeah, I think also just having this out there for parents, like, okay, <laughs> they'll <laughs> be kids fine. fine, they'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, I joined a couple like, because I'm I'm new to Facebook, you know, Instagram's my platform. But I, one thing about Facebook is they have like all the groups on there. Yes. And so that's why I got Facebook. I was like, oh, that's actually where I found your podcast was someone posted it on the Facebook group. And I just started listening to it. And I was like, oh, this is great. But I'm on Facebook group for, you know, people, or parents of kids who live with peripheral anus, which is also like goes along with the cloaca thing and Vactrol and just all these different support groups. And, you know, parents will post like, oh my gosh, like my kid is having to do this and this. And I've been able to like hope as the kid who's gone through this to be able to be like, you know, this is a bumpy patch, but, or like to help a parent make a decision. I had this one parent who she was hesitant about her son was born with imperfect anus and she, he had an ostomy because that's what you usually do when your kid is born. So like, I guess I never mentioned that was, I didn't have my first surgery for my bodily functions until I was almost two years old. So I was living and I had so many infections probably during that time. And I had so many UTIs to the point where when I got adopted and there was just raging infections all the time, but I didn't know it because my body was so used to it. Um, But when you're born with imperfect anus, you are brought to surgery pretty much as soon as possible, as soon as they can get someone to do it and someone who's qualified to do it. And you have an ostomy so that you have a way of expelling poop from your body. So you don't, you know, get backed up and everything. And so her son had was she, he's still a baby, but she was debating on like, oh, should I really put my son through surgery? Cause he's doing well with this ostomy. But I was like, well, you could keep the ostomy or you could give him a shot. And the worst that can happen is he chooses to go back to an ostomy when he's older, but it's always best to try to like function normally in quotes Mm because yeah but it's always best to like give your kid the chance to at a more normal life I think because you know kids are mean sometimes and kids can pick on other kids and you know sometimes you know if you have an accident or if a kid sees something that's different like you have an ostomy and the kid sees it and then it just makes you self-conscious of it yeah and everything like that. And so it's always like, oh, what's the other kid going to think? So when you give your kid a chance to have a normal life, I think it's so much better for just their overall health and the mental health, too. And to be able to because, I mean, having an invisible illness is, you know, it's hard because people don't know that you're going through all these things. But then it's also a blessing in itself because then people don't have to know, like if there's you can kind of be yeah and be able to choose who you want to let see exactly side and it gives you I think a little bit more of the self-confidence as well it does it does so yeah so I've just been able to help other parents to like see that and see that yes if they choose surgery their kid has to deal with all these other things like bowel management for instance a lot of kids with IA have to do bowel management but it gives them a shot to be able to live their life and everything like that. I mean, you can still live your life with an ostomy. I have several friends with ostomies and they're like, you know, that's great. But, you know, it's just all the different things. Like, don't let a surgery that could help your kid's quality of life hold you back just because it's surgery and they have to deal with all these all these things because they will still end up living their life despite whatever it is they have to go through. Yeah, yeah. I think definitely it's, a case of like parents letting the fear of what the surgery is going to be like and how that's going to be for their kid that holds them back from like pulling the trigger and saying, yes, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, definitely. 
But then you also have to have the, sorry, the other balance of, oh, maybe this surgery isn't the best. Like I almost got a metrophen off. It was offered. My mom was offered to like, because when I got my Malone, they were like, oh, maybe we should do a metrophen off at the same time. You know, kill two birds with one stone. But my mom's like, well, she's doing great with her cathing. She doesn't, she's, her infections are down. Like she's doing great as far as that goes. So she was like, nope, we're not going to do the surgery. And I'm very grateful for that because I would not want to do with the Mitrofanoff. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love so, the Mitrofanoff. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, I've heard a lot of, like my mom heard a lot of things about it getting infected easily or about having to do bladder irrigations. And that was something that she didn't want me to have to do because I was already doing a bunch of other things. So I was, but I, I'm, I mean, I have friends who have metrophenops and they love it and it's great for them, but I'm glad my mom didn't choose that for me because it just, I mean, it would have been another thing that I just would have had to deal with. It would have been normal, yeah. but I'm glad that I don't have to deal with those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons either way you look at it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm really glad and kind of honored that you chose my podcast to to be the first like <laughs> public arena that you're talking yeah. about this. So thank you for, for coming on. Well, thank you for having the podcast in the first place. Yeah. I never really found one that was about you know bowel and bladder things oh I mean it started out as just you know your story with all the problems you were having with your bladder and everything bladder extrophy but and then it just grew to be more like you know all these challenges that everyone has to deal with whether that's you're born with it or you got it later in life like chronic illnesses and stuff like that so I just love the platform yeah yeah I mean just because we've got different things going on doesn't mean we can't relate you know we've both exactly. still been medical children, basically. Yes, <laughs> it's a, it's a yes. shared experience all in itself. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Lily about Vactoral and the variety of challenges that comes with If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Also consider becoming a patron on patreon.com. We just rolled out some new great stickers for patrons, which are also available on the website. If you would like to share your story or know someone who would like to, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithfex.com or on social media. Thanks for listening.